0: Welcome to Chapter by Chapter. My name is Brian Thomas Crop, and I will be your host today. I believe that stories have a tremendous power for good, and so I write them, and I enjoy sharing them with you. And I haven't explained this in a while, but the reason that I say that, that tremendous uh, power for good part in every episode, A, I really do think that is true, but I was reading in... Plato's Republic, I believe is where this is, where his whole thing, he's writing this pseudo dialogue about how to set up a good society. And one of the things that he sets up is the stories that we tell our children are are the ways that we are going to say what is good and right or wrong about life and how our culture needs to operate so you tell stories to say this is what is good and admirable and what we should go for as a society and you would also tell tragedy stories to say this is how you can take that in the wrong direction and these are the results so in his world sort of all stories are a moment of of telling morality of this is how life operates well and um I know from my own experience I don't remember lectures very well I don't remember in a lot of nonfiction books what I have uh, ingested from those books but I remember storybooks that I read when I was a kid I remember the plots of movies I remember the plots of uh, other books that uh, fiction books that I've read um, once I have grown up and some of those if you can pause for a minute and try to figure out what of this leads to good? What, what in this story leads to good and what in this story leads to evil or to tragedy and, and, um, heartbreak. I think that's, that's a good evaluation, uh, to make. And, um, I don't know that a lot of the story making that we have as an American culture is with that mindset that we want to, Tell stories that are pseudo fables of the kind of society we want uh, to have move forward, versus, here's an interesting idea. I wonder what would happen if this happened. Um, they're more like uh, what if questions, uh, how a lot of those stories, uh, I think, get written these days. But I really do think that stories can promote and advance the kind of culture the kind of society that is good and moves forward and so uh i write those stories in the hopes of doing that so uh very long intro and i apologize but i think you know i haven't really talked about that in a long time if you're new to the show then i promise that most of the time i will not do a deep dive on plato Um, what we do is we look at some uh, stories that i've written Uh, And you can evaluate for yourself whether I actually uh, did what I said or not, as far as uh, telling stories uh, for good. Um, But we read a chapter out of a story. And then on the other uh, side of that, uh, look at that chapter and what went into that story, either from a craft perspective, like kind of the mechanics of storytelling, uh, some of my personal history that may have made its way into that chapter, or a theme that uh, has come up that is one of those drivers of, you know, this is the kind of action that leads to good or leads to tragedy. Um, We can talk about that as well. Um, So if you like sort of how things get made uh, from that angle, you're in a good place. We are uh, almost done with a book that I wrote called Shell Game. It's uh, part two of a series uh, called The Pearl Saga, and you can check out both book one, which is called Showdown in the Yukon, as well as Shell Game over at my website, brianthomascropp.com. You can also find them on Amazon, Um, but we are almost done with Shell Game, and so I will not uh, take time now to recap all of what has gone up to this point. We only have three chapters left. Um, So in the show notes, you can see the episode of this show that um, you can go back to, to get the whole meal of, of shell game and then uh, catch up. Or again, you can read the story on your own over there at brianthomascropp.com, but we will get into chapter 42 of shell game right after we hear from this week's sponsors. This episode is also sponsored by Showdown in the Yukon, the first book in the Pearl Saga. It is a story of Monterey Jack Danvers, who is a reformed pickpocket who is hired by his old partner in crime to help rescue a uh, stolen gold claim up in the Yukon Territory for a widow. He also finds the widow's daughter quite attractive and that helps him go on this adventure that takes him on uh, stormy seas, through caves, through forest fires and being hunted down um, in forests and all kinds of uh, great adventure. And the big question is, Will they be able to uh, rescue this gold mine Uh, This gold claim back from uh, the evil man who uh, took it from this poor widow woman. And then what kind of man does Monterey Jack Danvers turn into by the end of uh, the story? It is also the prelude to uh, Shell Game Part 2 of the Pearl Saga and you can find Showdown in the Yukon at Amazon.com You can also find the links uh, to that over at Brian Thomas Crop.com. Chapter 42. Catherine, what are you doing here? This isn't a good time, Evan said, grabbing his wife by the elbow. Who are your friends? Catherine said, looking at all the new faces gathered in her husband's apartment. It would take too long to explain. It was then that Evan realized Catherine wore the pearl pendant necklace around her neck. In all his efforts to keep Lillian safely away from danger, here she was, accessorizing his wife's outfit. Realizing the man with the silver eye patch was now behind his wife and perhaps still unaware Lillian had entered the room, Evan stood facing Catherine and squeezed her arms. This isn't a good time. I'm working on a case. Why are you here? It's late. It would be good for you to leave. I can talk to you in the morning. He looked so intently into her eyes, hoping that he would be able to tell her the gravity of the situation without saying a word. It can't wait. I've been having the craziest thoughts. Thoughts about you, thoughts about this. What do you mean? Evan asked. I'm not sure, Catherine said, breaking free of Evan's grasp. I was home, trying to go to sleep, and I saw this. She spread out her arms to the room as if she were showing off a new room or painting. All these people were here, but I'd never seen them before. Except for her. Catherine scowled at Claire who crossed her arms and smirked in return. And what are they doing in your, in our apartment? I couldn't put my mind around it, but I knew you were in danger. So I rushed down here and when I got to the door, I... She turned around and for the first time saw the inky one-eyed creature, her throat closed immediately. The man in black walked to her with his gun drawn and aimed at Catherine. Well, 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 Mr. Gold, he purred. And who do we have the pleasure of meeting this evening? Put your gun down, Evan said. There's no reason for anyone to get hurt. I quite agree, the stranger said. Though we're dangerously close to finding a reason, don't you think? Perhaps we should all have a seat and get back our composure. Eyepatch waved the tip of his gun to encourage Evan and Catherine to have a seat. Evan grabbed Catherine's hand and whispered to her, "'It's going to be fine,' as he led her to sit down. All eyes were on Evan and Catherine as Eyepatch began to pace the room and speak. "'Do you remember the boy I told you about, Mr. Gold? The boy who outsmarted me and ran off with my treasure?' I've had a lot of time to think about what I did wrong. How could an ignorant boy outsmart someone like me, especially in the dark? Especially when he has no idea the stakes he's playing. Obviously, Lillian was helping him, but why didn't I notice? Why was I so confident that I missed some clues that she was no longer safely stowed but had escaped into his clutches? Yes, I've had plenty of time to think about that. And I realized that I had been overconfident. I had been overconfident and had ignored some feelings deep within. Twinges of something I'd never felt before, but now I know it is the feeling of her. For all her guile and cleverness, Lillian cannot use her powers without giving herself away, even if just a little. I have felt these twinges ever since I set foot in this town, sometimes stronger, sometimes fainter, but they've always been there. Just before this woman knocked on your door, I felt Lillian's presence stronger than I have since that day in the cave, and yet I was once again fooled into thinking it was that stupid decoy you tried to pawn off on me. I must admit, I was almost fooled, but it didn't glow. It wasn't alive Surely, Mr. Gold, you must think me quite the fool, or maybe you're desperate. But alas, it is you who are the fool, and now I think I must hurt you and whoever this is next to you, because the one thing I know and the one thing you know is that Lillian brought her here. It is Lillian that adorns her fragile neck, and it is both of you who will pay for trying to trick me out of what is rightfully mine. In a flash, the stranger thrust out his hand to snatch the pendant from Catherine, but Evan, anticipating something like this, shoved his whole body at her attacker. A blue flash of light exited the gun in the stranger's other hand, and Evan heard a cry from Catherine, but now he had eye patch on the ground and using his fists in the hope of subduing this intruder. The stranger, momentarily caught off guard, was slammed into the wreckage of the coffee table. He and Evan rolled between the sofa and the kitchen, each one trying to get the advantage. Again, Evan had the stranger on his back and tried to land a knockout blow to his jaw when Patch grabbed Evan by the shirt and flung him across the room. Evan crashed into Harold, and the two men went tumbling into the wall. By the time Evan had got free from Harold, he looked up to see the man in black standing over him, gun drawn and teeth bared. Harold tried to squirm out of the way, but Evan knew he was finished all at once he felt a sense of loss like he'd never felt before everyone he'd tried to help was now dead or in grave danger and now there was nothing he could do to stop it with unusual focus evan could see the stranger's finger start to squeeze the trigger and time seemed to slow down from off to his left evan saw katherine tackle eye patch just as a blue bolt of light surged out from the gun's barrel The light hit the carpet just beyond Evan's shoulder, but close enough for him to feel the blast's heat. He began to scramble to his feet and saw the man in black roll Catherine off his back. The stranger dropped Catherine to the floor, the impact knocking all the air out of her lungs. Eyepatch reached down to grasp the pearl pendant when Evan said, "'Don't lay a hand on my wife!' The stranger cocked his head to Evan, droplets of sweat running down his forehead. Oh my, he cooed. This is a nasty business, isn't it? Keeping the gun trained on Evan, the man in the silver eye patch bent over, grabbed the pearl, yanked the chain, and while Katherine still lay trying to get air in her lungs, the stranger stood holding the pearl in his black gloved hand. At last, the stranger said, but for you and all of your trouble, he turned on Evan. I think the last thing you should remember of me is how I bested you and how I ruined your life. Ipatch swung his gun to aim at Catherine just as the pearl in his other hand burst into the brightest light. The light pushed everyone back, and when it died down, there was Lillian once again. Her face was fierce as a lioness, and her stance was like a stone tower. Enough, she bellowed. Don't Do this treachery, Merlane. All you do is leave a trail of destruction and misery. You've devastated world upon worlds and you shall not have another. This must end. You will not harm these people any longer and you will be stopped, you and all your people. My father will bring you to justice. Justice patch scoffed, regaining himself. "'Shall I declare the charges against you to these people and see what is just?' You are not a fool, Lillian. You are the princess. You are the one dedicated to overthrowing my people. You are the one who organized the rebellion against us. When will you realize the fate of all your people was set the instant my supreme leader escaped your father's realm? A realm built on lies. No longer was he beholden to your corrupt ways. No longer was he a slave to your father's whims. And when will you see that your supreme leader didn't escape but was allowed to leave? Lillian replied. He was allowed to go and take all the rebels with him. What you don't see, what you are incapable of seeing, is what a bitter end will come of your rebellion. I can see it. I can see it well. I could show this whole room if I chose to, but you and I know that would change nothing. You are a rebel at heart, as are all your people. We will continue to fight until the completion. And yet... "'Here you are, running and hiding like a guilty child,' the stranger cooed. "'That, oh princess, should speak volumes to all the worlds. "'Now you can come with me peacefully back to prison, or we can do battle first. "'I can see in your eyes that you're hungry for a fight. "'Come to think of it, I haven't had a good fight in a while, "'and I've just realized how much I miss it. "'So... Either way, you lose. But how many others must die in the meantime is up to you. Lillian looked around the room. She looked at Evan. Thank you for protecting me, but I realized I was acting like a coward. This is not your fight, yet I brought it to your world. I thought it was vanity, but I thought I could help you and escape my hunter. I knew bringing your wife here was a risk, but a risk worth taking. I'm glad you see this Merlane for what he is. She turned to look at her captor. I'll go with you willingly, you mocker of justice, for the freedom of my people. And so all the realms will know that justice defeats rebellion. The room once again filled with light. After it passed, Evan saw that Lillian had transformed back into her pearl-like shape. The sphere hung in the air, floating like a large particle of dust in a sunbeam. Eyepatch strode to the pearl, pulled out a strange silver box from inside his jacket and closed Lillian inside it. Once the box rested in his coat, he turned to the rest of them. "'Well,' he said with satisfaction, "'my mission here is complete, and I must return her to face her doom.'" Evan rushed to Catherine, whose lungs had stopped their spasms and were allowing air in and out again. "'I'm so sorry. Are you hurt?' He looked into his wife's green eyes. Catherine looked confused and tired. What's going on? She asked. I'll try to tell you later, he said. Then he heard Claire cry out. Evan looked and saw just the last bit of Margot run out the front door. Should we go after her? Harold asked. Evan swung his gaze over to the table where all of Margot's guns had been. The table was clear of all weapons. The man in black hummed to himself. Hmm. I guess I'll have to keep an eye on my back, won't I? The stranger said, there was betrayal here tonight. It couldn't be helped. Eyepatch sighed. Too sad. All too sad. He turned to Evan. A pleasure doing business with you. He looked over to Harold. I believe you should escape town, Mr. Huber. Without Margo around, my guess is Mr. Gold will do his best to hang all the murders around your neck. Huber nodded dumbly. "'Walk with me,' the inky man said, placing his hand on Harold's shoulder. "'I feel like we need a celebration.' "'But what about the police?' Harold whined. "'We will be long gone, and I wouldn't worry about what Mr. Gold tells him about us. "'Anything he says, if he's honest, will get him locked up in a sanatorium instead of jail.' "'At this thought, Eyepatch let out a deep-throated laugh.' You shot my wife, Evan charged. Don't get so worked up, Ipatch said. The wound isn't fatal. She should recover in a day or so, but she will always carry the scar. Consider it a reminder not to come looking for me. Believe it or not, Mr. Gold, I wish you all the best. You proved a formidable opponent. I wish we could have had you on our side, but... What is that saying you have about spilled milk? Never mind. He turned to Huber and beckoned him to follow. Harold, like an obedient dog, obeyed his master. A moment later, the door closed, and Evan was alone in his apartment with Claire and a wounded Catherine. I alluded to this in uh, last the last episode, that when... Uh, Evan's wife, Catherine, walks in and I read this version uh, to my family for the first time. There was a, uh, like an audible gasp. It was really delicious as the, uh, the writer of the story to get uh, a visceral reaction from the audience because you don't usually get that when you uh, write a book because uh, people are reading it away from you. So, um, But this was an interesting problem to solve. Um, This is actually Catherine's entrance is a solution to an interesting problem to solve, which was, and I I talked about this a little bit last week, um, the way this really uh, went in the first draft. And I, I heard an interesting quote from somebody that, you know, you write your first draft and then the second draft's job is to make it seem like you knew what you were doing the whole time. So you kind of have to get some raw information down and then your revision process can hone that into something that makes more logical sense. And Catherine's entrance helped with that. There is another aspect of the story that I question whether or not um, I actually did that well. So we'll talk about both of those, but the problem uh, first when i wrote the first draft evan is carrying around lillian the right pearl the whole time and i did think it was interesting uh well we've got the fake pearl and the real pearl in the whole in the room the whole time and what do we do with that and then uh, a friend of mine reading the story said well if Patch senses lillian and that's sort of what lures him into athens kansas and all all the things how can he not censor a how can he not censor when he's five feet from her but then in an earlier chapter if he suspected that evan had lillian on him when he was knocked out this was several chapters ago when he was knocked out why was he not searched and so i had to get rid of the pearl because that was a really good question that was asked and so i gave um uh Evan, the job of giving the pearl to Catherine as a gift. Uh, Both it was a safeguarding of Lillian, which he had um, said that he would do. But then it was also a token of peace uh, for this marriage that's on the rocks and how to move forward with that. Um, But then um, I, I also know that what I want is a trilogy. And if Lillian is always out of the room and never really in danger then there's not a lot of dramatic action so i need to get her back in the room somehow and um i think a hiccup that i had was and again if you've been if you've been uh tuning in for a long time then you know that i sort of wrote this on the spine of a couple stories and one of the main ones was the maltese falcon if you were to watch the Maltese Falcon uh, <laughs> right now, you're like, oh, wow, what a ripoff. Um, it's, it's not too far away uh, from the Maltese Falcon. However, in the Maltese Falcon uh, at this moment, um, what sort of what happens is, um, I can't remember what the character is now, but uh, this guy delivers what turns out to be, uh, well, it's the bird to Sam Spade, the detective, and he comes and delivers it and they, they look at it and they discover, spoiler alert, um, that the bird is actually fake. And what happened was there was this Russian guy that kind of got wise before any of the event, any of the events inside of Maltese fa- Falcon happened, he had probably absconded with the real Falcon and had they have been running around chasing this dummy bird for the, the whole thing. Um, And I really liked that aspect of it, that the thing we've been running after the whole time turns out to be a fake thing. And um, so that was sort of why I wanted to make Maltese Falcon kind of the, 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 the driver of my ideas. Well, in that, in that story, there's only one thing. And in my story, there were two things. There was the fake Pearl and the real Pearl and at no time well one same spade isn't married so there's nobody to put in jeopardy and he hasn't sworn loyalty to this bird either so i have some new problems to, to work out that maltese falcon does not possess and so um uh, the way to solve my problems was to bring Catherine in and um it does ramp up the danger for evan which i liked and getting that reaction from my wife and daughter when i read the story to them that was also like i think we're, we're that this might be honest some this is good um but it also created uh it didn't fix the other issue that i have in this particular chapter um and i think for the most part i'm willing to go with it but i don't this is not my favorite aspect of this I still have questions if Lillian is somebody who can kind of see the future or at least can uh, project the future into the minds of people, how did she not see this coming and or um, why did she ask uh, dude uh, to protect her if she was just going to give herself up? So I don't really like how this chapter ends from that perspective, but it does get me to the next book. So for its function, I guess it's okay, but I'm not nuts about how this thing kind of worked out. It still feels to me kind of shoehorned that, well, I know that I've got to end this story kind of on a negative. The second story in a trilogy ends negatively, typically, if it's a connective thing. Like if you look at the Indiana Jones stories, it's just Episodic. Each movie is its own thing. There's not a lot that's um, connecting one movie to the next. In fact, if you look at um, how those movies were released, movie two actually happens in time before movie one. So they're they're really not worried about uh, continuity. However, if you're watching uh, movies like uh, Hunger Games or Star Wars or Harry Potter, usually those stories will end in such a way to hook you into the next so typically book one ends on an up everybody won yay way to go our heroes are awesome and then the second book they face a, a more difficult challenge and it usually ends badly it's not that they're destroyed but they didn't win like they won the first time and then if it's a trilogy then there's this triumphal ending hopefully at the end i don't want to give away the ending to a book i haven't written yet but there's probably <laughs> there will be there'll be a triumphal ending at the end so like in the star wars thing which i know a little bit better you know you, you blow up the death star in episode one or episode four depending on how you're counting it um and then um, in the second you know, luke loses his hands finds out that his father is darth vader and you know we're in trouble um, han solo is in um carbonite and just we're in a bad way but you know we still we're not down yet and we still have a chance to regroup and then in return to the jedi we blow up the death star again that's apparently that's how you end a star wars movies by blowing up a death star um so i needed to set that up uh, anyway that's a long way around to say um i don't love that catherine or that uh lillian gave herself up right here but it it does it does solve the i've got to get to book three or this story turns into a much longer story that i hadn't planned um, which, you know, depending on how you write books, if you plan stuff out and then things shift while you're writing, I think there's tension there. If you're like a Stephen King and never have a plan and just kind of write, you end up with really long books. Uh, That's sort of how that goes, I guess. So we now have Lillian is captured and she is out and uh, the eye pouch is on the loose again and Harold is on the loose. Technically, I guess Margot is on the loose as well. So now all we're left with is Catherine is wounded uh, after being shot by whatever alien multi dimensional gun that iPatch has. We still have Claire in the room and we have Evan. Now, this is also, I think, a fault in this story, but it's also a fault in Maltese Falcon that I just couldn't get around. And so. It's it's similar to a problem that I have with a very non-crime noir book of Wind in the Willows. In Wind in the Willows, how you know that a character that who the protagonist is, it's often the character that you're following a lot and they change somehow. And in Wind in the Willows, that character is mole. But Mr. Toad is so flamboyant and so in your face and so awesome that you think Wind in the Willows is about Mr. Toad, and it's not. In Maltese Falcon, the hunt for this bird is so fascinating and so overwhelming for so many people that you start to think, and it's the title of the story is the Maltese Falcon, that you start to feel like, It's all about the finding of the bird. And when you watch the movie, it is. That's the whole thing that he hands the, the Maltese Falcon off to the police at the end. And they say, what's this? And he says, the stuff that dreams are made of and fade out to black. And you forget that the real question in Maltese Falcon is who killed Sam Spade's partner? And the real question that Evan has been going for this whole time is who killed Gabe Silver, who is Evan's partner. That's the real question that we're getting at. And now we've got the distraction out of the way. Now Lillian is gone and uh, we will pick up with her and her story in book three. But now we've got to settle the question of who killed uh, Gabe Silver. And so for the rest of the story, that is that is what we're going to be dealing with. We know that Claire has not been forthright in what she's been saying. We're starting to lose suspects because they're all walking off stage. And if they're the murderers, we got to go get them. So what's going to happen now will drive the rest of the story. But I also acknowledge that it's now kind of a uh, um, It's not the question that we've been driving for the whole time and it gets a little weird and so i think that's a both a weakness in what uh hammett wrote and it's a weakness now in what i've written but um for chapters 43 through 45 we will now be solely dealing with that question of who killed gabe silver so if you want to find out who and how and why stick around and we will wrap up uh, this in the next couple of weeks um tell your friends about, about the, the show and the book and all the things. Uh, I hope to see you back here next time as we go into chapter 43 of Shell Game. Until then, I hope you have a great week.